0: I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor.
1: Yo, it's good, everybody? Welcome back to the Celtics Pod podcast. As usual, I'm your boy, Adam Taylor. As usual, we're talking about Celtics basketball because they're 3 oh, baby. I'm joined by Mr. Will Weir and Mr. Greg Manakis, my co-host in crime for the Freeman man wave. What's good, y'all?
0: Feeling good. Feeling great, baby. Up 3-0. Man, pure domination in that fourth quarter last night. JB carrying us home. I'm feeling good, man. Will, how you feeling?
2: Robes on for the boys. Brooms in the closet. Getting ready to come out. Can't complain. Marcus Smart did say
1: we have to wear robes to work.
2: This is technically work. Yeah, I mean, this we work. We, we, we follow as the defensive player of the year says, we do. That's kind of the way this goes. That's that's he, how the script goes. Here's Geppetto at this point. Marcus
1: Geppetto's <laughs> smart. We're just all his pockets,
0: dude. I haven't taken this robe off since I got it. It's so comfy. Yeah, I, I, as I said before
1: we start recording, dudes, I'm going to uh, I'm gonna PayPal you some. We don't have Venmo, so I'm going to PayPal you some cash.
2: And, okay, Adam, but I have to ask you. So So the robe that you have on right now, you, you you would generally wear this robe, even outside of Marcus Smart's orders. Is that correct? Yeah,
1: this is my robe, dude. I've done a few episodes in this robe.
2: Okay, that's, yeah. I just wanted to establish kind of a baseline here. Because my question is, like, I'm not, I've never been, I've never had a robe. I've never owned a robe. I think when I was younger, my cousins, like, made me dress up in a robe so we could play some type of weird game or something. I don't know. They were older. <laughs> they were bullies. I don't know. It was, it's, like, the only memory I have of me really wearing robes. So, like, what... Like, I, I don't know, I, like, I got the robe yesterday, and I'm still feeling it out as far as, like, do I go closed, like, all the way? Do I leave it popped open a little bit? What do I got? Like, where's the string location? Does it go in front of my belly? Is it off to the side on the hip? Like, I don't know. Walk walk me through some, some robe etiquette here for a minute, Adam. Whatever makes you feel comfortable is how you wear the robe. That's some wild stuff, right? That's some sense.
1: Like, like like legit just that. Obviously, if you're walking around and you don't have pants on, then the common <laughs> etiquette is to is to use the the string and to tie the robe, right? Because you need to keep some form of modesty. But if you're walking like I'm in my PJs right now, I'm having a lazy day, you know, I'm just robe open wherever I'm comfortable, hood up when I feel like a, I want to be a Sith Lord. The the hood, the hoods,
2: hoods at next level. That's the one thing I said that, that our robes are missing, Greg, is that we don't have a hood. I like I like the hood that Adam has.
1: Yeah, yeah that, but I'm in a Jedi cool. robe, so it's a bit different. Like I, like sometimes I'll just sit here and I'll tuck my hands into my robe because it's got the big sleeves, like the Jedi sleeves.
0: Yeah, you look very Obi-Wan right now.
1: Yeah, and I'll just be like proper like poke coat. But it's whatever comfortability factor, man. Like the point of the robe is that it, it it's not meant to be swag. It's meant to be comfort. And that's why you should wear them to work as often as possible because the comfortable worker is a productive worker.
0: Yeah. It's just really interesting to me that people are wearing robes like out in public. Cause to me, wearing the robe is just something you would do around your house. I had one as a kid um, just cause my mom and dad had bathrobes. So I just wanted to be like them. So I had a bathrobe as well. I didn't wear it very often, but to me, I'm just rocking this robe. I it's just funny to me that will ask like, what is robe etiquette? Because for me, a robe is what you do, like, at your own home, in your own residence. So why is there any etiquette? Because it's just you rocking the robe, you know? But so this I'm is the thing with
1: Smart, right? Like, don't you see Smart wearing the robe at the garden, his way of saying, yo, this is my house? Exactly. I like that.
2: I like that. I, I had put that together, sense. but that's that makes a ton of sense.
1: He's like, yo, this is my house. I'll walk around in a robe if I want because I'm at home. Like, that's how I've always, like, perceived it. He's yeah. like, yo,
0: this is my crib, dude. I, I've never thought of it that way, and that, that's why we keep you around, Adam. That is some insight right there. <laughs> the only thing is when you're wearing it at the
1: garden, whether it's home or not, there is definitely etiquette involved.
0: Yeah, we. so
2: I have – so it looks like I may not need them, but I'm going to be in Boston this upcoming weekend. So I went ahead and, and made sure that if there was going to be a Game 7, which, like I said, not looking likely right now, you know, I, I went and scooped some tickets. And so last night when, my, when the rope came in, uh, my girl was like, are you planning on wearing this if we go to the game? <laughs> and she gave me kind of this side eye, like, please tell me you're not. And I was like, oh, you better believe if there's a game seven, I'm bringing this with me. She's like, it's going to take up half our suitcase, just packing well, this thing away. Just I wear will. it on the flight? Yeah, yeah, there you go.
0: Definitely, definitely wear it on the flight. Look out for our guy, John McGoldrick at TSA. But <laughs> also, if you have game seven tickets, would you potentially have, you know, next round tickets or would that be on the road? No, that would be at home. No, so it would be you, you, it would be
2: home, but yeah. it depends what happens in that other series and how long that goes. I don't. I haven't looked at what that potential series could look like. It's two one right now, and then with the Middleton injury, maybe it goes a little bit longer. So there's an outside chance it ends up being a game one against the Bucks, which I would then look into. But, but like, would your tickets
0: back. transfer over?
2: No, I'd have to buy. I'd get oh, a, okay. I get a refund on my okay. tickets, and I'd have to to try and get other tickets. I don't have tickets. <laughs> I know. We'll get them for you, Adam. You t- we were just talking about your trip coming up to Boston next year, so we'll we'll make well, this year, a
1: bro. A few months. Well, this like, year. Uh, I meant next season, I guess. you know what it is, dude? I'm just like, yo. I just need like the wife wants to go shopping. I kind of want to check out that juice store. Like you know, I feel like I should at least be around Boston for a week, so I can do like you know, whatever I need to get done, meet some people, do some stuff. Why not, dude? I mean, it's only a six-hour flight.
0: Yeah. It's not bad, yeah. When next time I go back to Boston, I definitely gotta go hit up Juice and get some swag from JB's shop. Shout out JB, carrying us home in that fourth quarter. I'm yeah. just
1: expecting JB to be the one to serve me. <laughs> That's not like gonna happen. I, like if I fly four or five thousand miles and I get there and it's just some random like person, just like yep, yeah, that'll be twenty four ninety nine, please. I wanna be like. Nah, bro. Like, I've traveled far, dude. You need to phone Jalen. <laughs> tell Jalen I'm here. I want some <laughs> autographs.
2: I want some pictures. Like, do you know how far I've had to come? Jalen's Jaylen, the guy just refolding the shirts. There's always a guy yeah, folding yeah. shirts. So what, what what
1: is isn't a superstar, well, a star basketball player who's a multimillionaire working the counter at the store like please explain to me what's going wrong here it's
2: called leadership adam it's called leadership De- uh, yeah delegation bro.
1: delegation <laughs> so but seriously man i mean we, we can start with jb as well because i feel like jb was um the primary factor in taking the wind out of the net sales as they made that run to start the fourth uh jb kind of was like Mm-mm-mm. You know that. that, that up, <laughs> like, now today, bro, we're taking that three-zero lead. We're in your crib. We got more fans than you in your crib. We should have came out here wearing robes because this our house now. And then JB just took over for a hot minute, man. And I think that you know I'm working on something now. So by the time this episode releases, there'll be an article out about this. But for all the narratives that have dominated, like the series, you know, KD versus Tatum, KD versus Tatum. Kyrie versus Boston fans, KD versus Tatum. You can see that there's been nothing really about Jalen Brown's play. So I think it's time we give the dude some flowers because he might not have been a prominent like storyline, but that dude's been putting in work all three games, and then that kind of all came to like a, a boiling point in that fourth quarter.
0: Yeah, and I think you can't talk about JB with also, without talking about Blake Griffin because that's kind of what happened in that fourth quarter. I know JB had a great game too in the fourth quarter as well. But last night, you know, once Blake Griffin was on the court and we were watching the game live on playback and I didn't even recognize Blake Griffin was on the court for about 30 seconds, maybe a couple of possessions went by and then someone pointed out Blake Griffin was on the court and I was just so surprised to see him. And then for the next six minutes, seven minutes that Blake Griffin was on the court, the Boston Celtics, anytime they could, they put him in the action on defense. Like literally every possession in the half court, Blake Griffin was involved while he was on the court. And JB just took advantage of that, man. The moment he had Blake Griffin on him, he just started licking his chops. And that move that JB's been going to, that through the legs, James Harden stepped back, that he started to do a lot with a lot more uh, regularity towards the end of the season. He pulled it out in crunch time, wetted it in Blake Griffin's eye. And then he had a couple more great possessions. Um, got I think he got Patty Mills or Seth Curry in a switch as well, and just and just took us home down the stretch um until the last like three minutes, and that's when JT took over.
2: Yeah, I mean the both the Jays last night really were the driving force in that in that fourth quarter. And you know, real quick aside, poor Blake Griffin. My, my guy was getting roasted left and right for coming in for five minutes, being gassed, and he had a couple buckets, but then I think gave up you know, probably three times worth that on the other side of the ball. So it was a, you know, desperation from the net. That's what happens when you're down 3-0. But, you know, focusing on the Jays last night to to bring this game home and starting with Jalen Brown, I feel like we've talked a lot about him being the opener. Right. Like how he comes out in the first quarter kind of is the the primary offensive option. The first couple of minutes and these last couple of games, seeing him be that driving force down the stretch has been a little bit of, of, of role reversal for him. But he's exceeding in that role. And especially when he gets matched up with Blake Griffin. But last night, just to quickly read some of the numbers that the Jays put up in the fourth quarter, both of them, by the way, played the entire fourth quarter, Jason Tatum went, five, <laughs> Adam has a treat. and He looks very delighted. I can't wait to chop that a clip, clip up. Hopefully you're putting that on social media. Uh, Jason Tatum went five of eight, one of two from three. He had 14 points, two rebounds, and two assists. Jalen Brown went four of six, one of two from deep, nine points, a rebound, and an assist for him. And it just really felt like, you know, from the end of that third quarter, which ended with the Jalen Brown dunk off of a steal from Blake Griffin, that from that moment, Into the fourth quarter, that momentum, the two of them just said, get on our backs. Let's take this home. They felt the momentum and they ended up shutting the door. And it was, uh, it was really cool to see the Jays be the ones to, to put the stamp on that or put the exclamation point on that game last night.
0: I, I just need, Will, shout out to you, first of all, for being able to like hold a coherent thought as Adam is just like a little kid on Christmas looking at his his tasty treats. Just, so, just so you, you know, know, I was
2: panicking in my head about trying to finish any type of coherent thought. So <laughs> I was like, just get job. to the point, don't look at Adam. Get to the point, don't look at Adam. That's all I was saying in my head. And so that's why I started reading stats because I could, I could see them in front of me.
0: <laughs> Adam, talk about this. You have to talk right now. You can't just hold it up. This is a, a, an audio visual platform.
1: Yo, so I'm chilling, you know, just listening to y'all just break down the game. Jalen Brown, you know, talking about Blake Griffin, who should now be named Peter Griffin because he was that <laughs> atrocious. And then I feel a presence walking up the stairs, right? Because I'm upstairs in the office, which is like up, and then we're at the front of the front of the house. And then the, and then my wife just, Zoe just turns around she's like, I made you a drink. So I'm like, oh, she got me a coffee or she made me some tea, you know, nah, bro. She made me some banging hot chocolate with whipped cream marshmallows some white chocolate sprinkles some dark chocolate sprinkles it just it it made me really happy because it's a thing of beauty dude this is getting put on twitter right now then it's going on my instagram story so props to Zoe, man. She she's gonna hook me up.
2: Yo, don't like, don't even sip that Adam. It's too pretty to be sipped. You, like, you, you can't, Oreo, you can't touch, touch it. it.
1: as well. Yeah, so this is gonna end up all in my beard. We know how this goes. We've
2: been here before. <laughs> yeah, I think we've done this before where you've had the yeah. robe on and then you just had a, a moustache all yeah. Full I just of, get I get treated like a king with cream.
1: Get treated like a king. So, um yeah, so look we're going to call Blake Griffin Peter Griffin. That's what we're going to do because he, he's just a running joke at this point. Uh, I'm going to be straight up honest with you. I think that if we see Blake Griffin again in game four, then to me that's a white flag.
0: Oh, I, th- I mean? think it was a white flag last night.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think – well, last night I think it was like, hey, we're, we're at a point now where we, we the game's still winnable. Do you know what I mean? They've gone on that bit of running the fourth – and they're like, let's bring somebody in that gives us a little bit more floor spacing, a little bit more size, um, a little bit of athleticism. I know he's not the same as he used to be, but I felt like they were just trying something. Yeah.
2: I mean, I understand the, the the theory behind it. The part for me that was super confusing is why wouldn't you try this in in the first half? They were down, you know, the Celtics had the lead throughout the game. I think that's another important part of this is that we've talked about is that when the Celtics get a lead, it's, it's really impossible for them, for the other team to try and make a comeback. It's going to be really hard to get through this conversation looking at Adam. Adam may need to go off camera at a certain point because it's really (laughs) difficult to concentrate on anything with his little kid hot chocolate face that he has on right now. But uh, I don't even know what the hell I was saying. I've completely lost my train of thought. Greg, do you have something to add?
0: I oh, know we're talking about Blake Griffin and we're talking about whether or not it's a white flag. So whatever. Oh, hold on. Can I go back go to my ahead. point yeah, real yeah, quick? Yeah. I, I
2: remember what I was going to say is the part for me that was very confusing was why they wouldn't experiment with this in the first half when you have more opportunity to see, Hey, is this going to work and then not be able to kind of give up the game when you put them in where they did, which I think was around the middle of the third quarter. That's at the point where the game's hanging in the balance. And so if this doesn't work, it's over. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, like that's the end. So it's like, to me, it was a little weird that they wouldn't, go to this experiment a little bit earlier to give themselves a little bit of, uh, of wiggle room in case, I don't know, maybe they wanted to try something else or maybe they go to that KD and all the smalls lineup. Which I don't think that's going to work either. But if you're throwing, you know, if you're throwing poop against the wall, trying to see what's going to happen, like you got to start a little bit earlier, in my opinion, rather than put yourself in, that, in the dilemma that they faced.
0: Yeah, and for Celtics fans out there, go back and re-watch that Blake Griffin stint. I think it started at around two minutes left in the third quarter, and it ended with about five minutes left in the fourth quarter. And just look at how frequently the Boston Celtics attacked him. The Brooklyn Nets have nothing but prey on the defensive end, and the Boston Celtics are a bunch of predators out there. And they just went out there and hunted that matchup. Um, if you if you look down the stretch, what what the Celtics were doing, Um, after, so after we took advantage of Blake Griffin, right. Then we started to go to these one, three switches. And that's when Tatum took over the game. So Kyrie, uh, hit that one bucket on the baseline. And then, um, he Tatum, Tatum went to Horford off that pick and roll. So Tatum set the screen, rolled the basket and found Horford for a three. Kyrie comes down and he shoots like a 30 footer that bricks. Tatum goes, uh, one, three switch with smart. Right. So Tatum uh, gets mills on him. Smart seals him. and That's a bucket. And then Tatum, they go one, three switch again. Tatum gets Kyrie and then Tatum finds smart, like kind of dive into the basket off of that. And, and when, when you, when you have those defensive liabilities that you can just go attack Blake Griffin for the first seven minutes of the fourth quarter, and then Seth Curry, Patty Mills and Kyrie for the last five minutes of the fourth quarter, the Brooklyn nets don't have a chance in hell to win, win any game in the series.
1: Yeah, I don't think it's... it's, I don't think... I don't think it's possible. I think at the, this point... Wait, now, wait, wait. Hold, on, hold
2: on. Did you just get another treat?
1: Yeah. <laughs>
2: What'd you get this time?
1: Just some biscuits. Just some uh, some cookies. <laughs> um. Yeah, I, I'm out here putting in work, dude. I'm out here putting in work. Um, yeah, I don't think it's possible. At this point, as you said, look, Kyrie's trying things. It's not coming off. KD's tried things. I feel like KD at this point is all up in his own head. He said as much during the post game. I think that we've seen a couple of different looks. Like, you know, coming out early in the zone, to me, is an admission of... We kind of don't really have anything left in the bank, like we've used everything we've kind of got available. I'm throwing KD out there again is saying that. I think that when you when you're leaning on Kyrie heavily as a primary scorer and a primary facilitator, well, we've seen how that story ends. Do you know, what I mean, it doesn't end well. Kyrie and we said this when he was in Boston, and that was kind of the reason why him going to Brooklyn was scary because Kyrie is a secondary guy. He needs to play off of a star. Now, when that star isn't shining as bright as what it could do, Kyrie kind of isn't at the impact level as what he could be. Now that's not the same for Tatum. Tatum is on on his ascension. Jalen Brown doesn't need Jason Tatum to be at an elite level for Jalen Brown to be a high level guy. He can be that he can be your secondary guy with or without your primary star playing well. And I think that's where we're seeing the biggest difference right now. And then if you look at like the depth of the team as well, like I'm we've we've hit on this, so I'm only going to say it quickly. Outside of Bruce Brown, who has who has been phenomenal over the last few games, I, I'm not really sure where Brooklyn get any like legitimate contributions. Goran Dragic for stretches, but he's not Goran Dragic from three four years ago in Miami.
0: Well, I, I think that's the issue, right? Is that when you say, oh, are we going to get something from Goran Dragic? That's a problem for your team because he had a, a good first two games in this series, but you can't rely on him to do that consistently. He's he, he, he wasn't playing earlier this year. He came back and he wasn't playing well. He found it for a couple games, but he's not going to do that every single game, despite having reputation of being a Celtics killer. And I mean, Claxton, I thought he had a good game last night, especially in the second half. I thought he played really well. Um, but that's the the bet that the Celtics are making, right? They're sending two and three bodies at Kevin Durant on every single possession, and KD did a good job last night. I think only took eleven shots, but he yeah. got the ball to Bruce Brown and allowed Bruce Brown to dominate from the inside. But the Celtics are like, okay, I I don't necessarily know that I shouldn't have used the word dominate, right? Because Bruce Brown wasn't dominating; he was just being effective in the role that that he was put into because of the Celtics scheme. And then Claxton did well on the boards. Um, he had a, a couple of nice putbacks and KD found him in the dunker spot a few times. But the Celtics will live with that. And that's the bet that they've made in this series that Bruce Brown and Nick Claxton are not going to be enough to beat their team. And it's proven to be the case. Yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the
2: whole Nets gamble, especially the way that their roster has broken the season with, with all the in season moves and all the the BS surrounding the backs, whatever it's it's come down to can Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving be otherworldly. And if the answer is no, if they're playing any team worth its weight and salt, they're not going to win. That's, that's just kind of the way that it, that it works. I mean, last night you, you look at, you know, Greg talked about the game plan, just not letting Kyrie and Durant beat you And, and Durant only shooting 11 shots. Like I I almost did a double take looking at that. And and I kind of talked about it a little bit last night as we were going through the game and we were watching it on, you know, on playback with the three of us plus Brendan and Brendan Nunes, And I was like, at one point I was like, how many shots do you guys think he has? I think it was like towards the end of the first half. He had five shots. Like that's so un-KD like for a guy that's been a scoring champion since he was 21 years old. Five shots in a basically do or die playoff game. And between him and Kyrie, they go for 32. Jason Tatum had 39 last night by himself. Do you like, think
1: for KD, it's like he's watching the way that Tatum's dictating play? Like, like, you come into the series in game one, you're throwing everything at Tatum, and Tatum's reacting by turning into a playmaker. He, he's generating space for himself further down the game by initiating offense for other guys to start mm-hmm. the game, right? And then you watch how KD kind of approached game three. He, he scored a couple early, if I remember correctly. I think he had that pull-up early, and then he had, um, I don't know if it was a layup or a free. He had two two shots early, mm-hmm. and then he went into this distribution mode, and he started finding guys. As you said, he was finding Bruce Brown a little bit, off, well, quite often in the mid-range. But do you think he's, he was kind of deferring a little bit too much trying to go down that Tatum route and create space for himself later in the game? But unlike Brooklyn, Boston don't waver on their game plan. Yeah. You know
2: what I'm saying? I, I mean, I I think you, you might be right, but there's a fatal flaw to that. When Jason Tatum's doing it, there's mis- mismatches all over the court for him to to be able to to pick apart. That the same cannot be said when Kevin Durant goes into that mode. Their only option for for success or for them to have an opportunity to win is him and Kyrie Irving being the focal point of that offense and and likely them getting buckets, not being distributors because there isn't there isn't really much to distribute to, especially when you factor in the Celtics' defense. Whereas for Tatum, he can kind of hang back, he can create mismatches and then and then pick the pick the Nets apart from that angle. So I, I don't think you're you're wrong, and I think maybe Kevin Durant was just trying something different. Once again, that's what we talked about with putting in Blake Griffin. It's I don't know what else to do. I'm you can see how frustrated. I've never seen like it look like Kevin Durant. I don't want to say quick because that's a that's a you know kind of a, a bad word to use, but he he looked he looked defeated at a certain point with about six minutes left last night. He threw the ball off the stanchion after Jason Tatum got an and one. And I can't recall a moment after, you know, watching Kevin Durant for the last 15 years that jumps to my mind where he's looked like that in the middle of a game.
0: Yeah. And Scal actually made a great point. Um, I think it was at the beginning of the fourth quarter, JT got a steal on KD and then KD didn't run back. And Scal, it was, it was, I, it was before he threw the ball off the stanchion. So it was about six minutes before that. And Scal said, I don't know, but I, I think he looks a little defeated. He's not defeated, but he's a little defeated. And on my rewatch this morning, just really interesting hearing Scal's perspective as a former NBA player who like is a little bit more tuned into the body language and he's obviously there at the game so we can see a little bit more of what we can't see watching from home and like watching on playback is a a little difficult as well just to like fully be locked into all the stuff that we're normally locked into because of the conversation that we're having throughout the game and he, he just kept making comments about how physical the Celtics were being with Durant and how he thinks that it's wearing him down. So in, in last night's game, I think what you ended up seeing was that KD was trying to keep things easy for himself, because if he was trying, if, if he accepted the double team and accepted the triple team, then he wouldn't have to go through the physical toll that he went through in games one and two, where he really, really had to work. And as a result, he only scored 16 points in last night's game. He had eight assists and eight rebounds to go along with that. And he played a well-rounded game, but For the Brooklyn Nets to win in this series, they need KD to go supernova. And through three games in this series, Kevin Durant has yet to do that. Kyrie did it in game one and as a Nets fan and as Nets organization, you're betting on at least one game from Kyrie going crazy, which he did. And you're betting on multiple games from KD, just playing at normal KD level. And the fact that he hasn't played at normal KD level in any of the three games so far, is just a testament to how physical the Boston Celtics have been and how all the, the rhetoric around the team was not just rhetoric. It is fact, the Boston Celtics are the best defensive basketball team in the nba and they've just shown it through three games here
1: how how likely do you see the nets pulling back to, to like by two how likely do you see them winning two games now oh it's not hey, happening.
0: Uh, yeah it's it's either it's a gentleman sweep you know with with the nets winning um tomorrow night or it's just celtics in five
2: yeah i, I think those are at this point those are the only two options i i think based on you were talking about how Kevin Durant's like body language and him feeling defeated. And then, you know, Greg, you you touched on this a little bit earlier. Some of the shots Kyrie Irving took felt very Celtics Kyrie Irving, like get out of my way. I'm going to try and be the hero here. And they just took Mm -hmm. some bad shots and missed them even worse, which is, which is not a great combo. And it just, it it does, it just does not feel like all of a sudden Ben Simmons coming back for 10 minutes is saving the day. Like that's just not happening. I I don't think he should come back now yeah i mean well the, i think that's the other question and, and you know we talked about it last night like i like i i'm gonna be very shocked with this series being out of reach at this point what the point of bringing ben simmons back for this one game is i, I don't think it happens anymore did you see that tweet um that came out i think it was after the game last night where it
1: was like if ben simmons plays on monday and then and the nets lose he will be the first player to play back-to-back games <laughs> yeah, and get eliminated from the playoffs.
0: that's yeah, hilarious. <laughs> like That's, that's a cool. clutch stat right there. That's a clutch yeah. stat.
1: Like, I don't see the point of bringing him back, to be quite honest with you. I think, you know, I tweeted this out midweek, saying, like, you know, take care of your games at home, split your games on the road, like, wrap it up in Boston, wrap it up in front of the home crowd. Now, I'm not saying drop a game on purpose. If you can win on Monday, then you win on Monday. That mm-hmm. The additional rest is more important yeah than the win on on home, home ground, you know what I'm saying? But I do think that, you know, if we were ever going to see KD with his back up the wall and kind of be like, hey, y'all are doubting me, watch me go out here and just whatever you throw at me doesn't matter, then it's going to be in game four. Because if it's not, then there's going to be new questions surfacing on, can KD ever get back to that level? Because, you know, prime KD... The physicality we're seeing right now wouldn't have mattered. He would have found ways to score or he would have scored over you. But I do think that you know what we said, um I think we said it on the last podcast, and then we said it on playback yesterday was that they're, they're not doubling or tripling him, they're just putting people in his vicinity. So they can they're digging very, very heavy on him. And like uh, I think I pointed it out on playback. Like you had that one where he was driving on Tatum, Pritchard dig like dog, he digged. And force KD to pick the ball up, and then all of us sudden now everybody swarms, and he's getting bumped as he's trying to find somewhere to move the ball. And there's just literally no breathing space. He's being suffocated. Has to get the ball out of his hands, and then he doesn't relocate. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Well,
0: because- yeah. And what I'm what I'm seeing from him, especially on the rewatch today, is one the physicality that I already touched on. Right, they're chipping him on every off-ball movement. Anytime he's going through the lane, he's feeling a body. Anytime he's going towards the screen, he's feeling a body. But also the Celtics have really game-planned for the spots on the floor that he likes to be. Specifically, he really likes to take that one dribble with his left hand and pull up. And anytime he's dribbling with his left hand, into that hang dribble, they're attacking that left hand. There's a few times in which they didn't, and KD was able to score off of that because that's his bread and butter. But there are also a few times where if KD has the ball on the right, elbow what he likes to do a lot of times is kind of take you one dribble with his left shoulder into you and then spin back to his left hand and if you i watched a few possessions where the moment he went into that left shoulder into someone's chest at the right elbow there was somebody just ran up to that space in which he would normally take that um mid-range jump shot a couple times it was grant williams who was super locked in on on the weak side so katie the moment he goes like, oh, this is my bread and butter move, he turns and he sees there's another body there. So they're not like hard doubling like right to his body, but they're hard doubling into the spaces that he likes to be. So he's seeing these uh, these extra bodies and spaces where he normally doesn't see those extra bodies. So I wouldn't necessarily call it a double team, but he's seeing two bodies. He's seeing three bodies throughout the game. And then when you take away someone's bread and butter, it, it's just really difficult for them to get buckets when – You, when their whole offense is predicated off of this guy being in his bread and butter spots. And we've just completely taken that away from them.
2: And part of it is just wear and tear, right? Like if you think about Katie's last two seasons, the injuries that he's had to come back from, you think about this year, you know, he leaves and goes down with an injury. I believe they were the two seed. He goes down with the injury. The whole James Harden thing is is going on. Kyrie's drama is continuing to play out. And when he comes back, you know, whatever it was six, seven weeks later, All of a sudden they're fighting for their playoff lives and he's jumping back in from an injury playing 40 plus minutes a night to keep them in the playing. And he's trying to put this team on his back, waiting for Kyrie to decide, is he going to get back? Is he not going to get back? Is the is the mandate within New York going to change? So he's mostly out there by himself on a night-to-night basis, carrying this massive load. And you flip back to last year, he had a very similar thing coming back from an injury in which he was in that same situation where him, Harden, and Kyrie could never really get on the same page minus that first-round series against the Celtics last year, tried to do the same thing against the Bucs. So it's almost two years of KD going from, you know, carrying a full 40 plus minute workload injured back to carrying a full 40 minute plus workload. And now you're seeing that combined with this defense. Like, I I think it's just a a culmination of of both things where obviously the Celtics deserve an amazing amount of credit for what they're doing. But I think it's part of it where, you know, I I, I don't know. I'm certainly not going to say this is the end of Kevin Durant, that that seems absurd to say, but I do think that it's getting to the point where, you know, he's 15 years into his career. Like this isn't, you know, 28 year old Kevin Durant anymore. Like he's deep into his career and to be asking him to do 40 plus minutes for, you know, a month and a half and then jump into the playoffs against the best team, team, against the best defense in the league. Like that's, that's a bridge too far. And that's what we're seeing right now. And in my opinion is, is a little bit of that buildup over time and it all coming to a head against the best defensive team in the league.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's just not in a willing position right now. As you said, 15 years in the league, eventually that wear and tear is going to build up. As Greg pointed out, we're literally taking away everything that he wants to do or, you know, where he's most valuable in his positions and his spots. The other thing is as well, like, and I don't want to give them an out here and then I kind of do want to focus on something that's joyous for me. So I'm just going to say this and then transition us. Uh he has no one else that he can rely on. Like Kyrie's not reliable in these moments because Kyrie kind of just goes hero. He either goes hero or he goes vanish, right? He's either ninja vanish or ninja attack. There's no no third option. Sorry, I I, I do love me some ninja turtles, so I have to slide that in there. Like, I'm not... none. No one's concerned about Bruce Brown winning you a game. No one's concerned about... Seth Curry going supernova and draining 45 because if you're still limiting KD, it doesn't matter. No, and no one is at, at the moment finding a way to limit Jay, um Jalen and Jason. You know what I mean? And then obviously, the thing that makes this even more kind of heavily favored towards Boston is Rob Williams looks like pre-injury Rob Williams. He got some blocks. He switched out onto the perimeter. He finished you know, he had a couple of lobs. He finished one like if he comes back as a full time guy in, you know, probably I'd prefer him to be coming off the bench until probably game one or game two of the next series. If I'm being quite fair, just to like really bring him back slowly. But you had Rob Williams into this course. So we're back to where we were before the injury. And all of a sudden, I'm not sure there's a team in the East that's going to stop you, especially with no, you know, Chris Middleton misses three or four games. Assuming that's like a six or seven game series against Milwaukee, if Chris Middleton misses four of them, you're probably out to a 3 1 lead on that series. Then you move on, and then you've got Philadelphia, most likely. Are you like, you know, or you can, yeah, or Miami? Let's be fair. But if you can stop KD and Kyrie, you can stop Embiid and Harden, you can stop Butler and Lowry. It's going to be more difficult because they're far better coached. You know, I do agree with what i first time I'm ever going to agree with this. But I do agree with Kyle Kuzma where Udoka is the coach of the year. You know what I mean? Or at least like the coach, like, gotta be a top three guy because he's out coaching Nash right now. The question is can he out coach Budenholzer or can he hold his own against Budenholzer? Now we'll talk about that in a moment. First of all, how y'all feeling about Rob?
0: I'm feeling great, man. Seeing him back on the court, I, I think he what did he played like 11 minutes last night? Uh, I think it was 15. 15 minutes last night? Yeah. Yeah, so I mean that's pretty much all you need him for. Uh, you know, I think the the max that we had capped on him for last night was 24 25 minutes. So if he only plays 15 minutes, you know, in game 3 and game 4 and the Celtics take care of business, I agree with you Adam. I would continue to bring him off the bench just in this series, just let him get his feet wet. It's just really interesting as well though when you think about like the chemistry that this new starting five has built. On the defensive end, you know, Tice has, has done really well on the defensive end, He's super versatile, um, probably even a little bit better guarding out in the perimeter than Rob might be um, there. It's close, it's close, but he moves his feet really well. And then Tice can shoot, you know, from from three a little bit, and he does different things on the offensive end. So you kind of have to weigh Robert Williams in the, the the ceiling that that team had with him in the starting lineup versus like maybe a slightly lower ceiling, but bringing Rob off the bench and making that second unit even better. It's just it's just interesting to see what the Celtics are going to do with that moving forward. I think they're probably going to end up putting him back in the starting lineup because why not? But it's just, it's just something to think about like what that second unit could look like with Grant, Rob, and Derek White coming into the game at the same time.
2: I mean, I think about that more from like, I think Rob just comes back and starts probably at the beginning of next series. That's, that's kind of what, what I would anticipate. And, you know, over the next, whether it's one game or two more games, I I think just keep him off the bench. But to your point, Greg, I think it's, and this is something that we talked a lot about, more towards the beginning of the season when we were trying to figure out EMA's rotations, I'm always more concerned about who closes than who starts. And I think that's where what you're saying gets a little bit more interesting, depending on what's happening in the game, whether it's the nets or when it's our, our next, one of the next rounds that we're in, I think what you're seeing with this team and with that, you know, with the starting line that we've had over the last couple of games is that's another weapon. That's another lineup that now EMA is even more confident, even feels even stronger resolve in that when he needs to go to it, it's going to be there. I mean, last night, Grant Williams played 12 minutes in the fourth quarter. He played the entire fourth quarter. So, you know, Ime, that's, and that's one of the most impressive things about Ime's progression as a a head coach this year has gone from, you know, very stiff NBA 2K rotations. I got to do this. I got to do that. This is what it has to be. And we're not changing from it to now he's got moments where, He's riding with Peyton Pritchard. He's riding with Grant Williams. He feels good about, you know, doing offense, defense, Marcus, you know, Marcus Smart and Peyton Pritchard or sometimes Derek Whites in the closing five. And so I think all the points that 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 you made will probably be, in my opinion, more applicable to closing lineups, depending on Game time situation. Who the other team is is throwing out there as, as their lineup, and I think it's going to be all that much more valuable because they've had this time together now than it will be necessarily for the starting lineup. Um, but when it comes to Rob, just him being healthy is is just a massive you know boom for this team for them to be able to have to have him whether it's off the bench and I think eventually starting it, it just gives this team another level and and having the continuity with the team that, or with the starting five that's been in place for this series will definitely pay dividends long-term in my opinion.
0: For sure. And I I just want one more point. I just want to make real quick before I let you jump in there, Adam is I think, you know, bringing Rob off the bench because he's so valuable to your defense. And like in the past, he's been foul prone, although this year he's really, you know, he's not doing that quite as much. It, it is interesting to to bring him off the bench just to see how the game is being officiated, especially when you get into later rounds against Giannis and jacumpo and Joel Embiid, guys that are good at getting to the free throw line. Because if the refs have a quick whistle in the first quarter, now maybe Rob's in foul trouble. But if you start Tice and then like those fouls are on Tice instead of Rob, then you Rob can come into the game understanding, oh, they're not allowing this, they're not allowing that, and therefore you kind of like save some of those fouls and put them on a Tice. That's just like the Like kind of higher level thing that I would think about Bringing him off the bench for against Giannis and against Joel Embiid I think the other
1: thing is as well You're giving yourself a bench rotation advantage in that instance But you kind of want that athleticism on the floor against Giannis Not so much Embiid because Embiid will just You know Embiid's got that strength advantage and Giannis does too But athleticism helps more against Giannis So having him in the start, having Williams in the starting five for that matchup makes sense in terms of obviously the fouls are going to be an issue, but you can pick that up through game one to game two. You figure out how they're going to be calling that game. The other thing I've kind of think that's been under discussed is what this series has done for Daniel Toys in terms of his rhythm his continuity with the team understanding that what they're trying to do on offense what they're trying to do on defense and now once rub is back in that starting five having somebody like toys that's really become ingrained in this postseason scheme on both sides of the floor coming off the bench because toys has been fantastic throughout this series short roll threat um as a screen and popper, as a screen and roll man his off-ball movement's been fantastic it did it took him a while, like I think it t- took him a while to reintegrate back in with the team from a systematic and production standpoint. Now we're seeing like the other like he I think he's gonna be super valuable as your bench big. And then the other question you've got to have is I know he may did it for game three, extended his rotation to give Rub those minutes, but does that rotation continue to stay extended? Do we see a nine-man rotation against Milwaukee? Derek White, Peyton Pritchard, Grant Williams, Daniel Tice. Are all four of those guys getting minutes off the bench? Or is Tice's, has Tice's performances kind of serving to hinder somebody else's opportunity if MA wants to be more restrictive and keep to that eight-man rotation? Who's the odd man out at that point?
0: Well, it's interesting looking at uh, minute totals from last night's game. You know, Tice only played 17 minutes. Horford played 28 Rob being black, but being back uh played 16. And then Derek White, man, he only played 14 minutes in last night's mm-hmm. game. Now Tatum played 45. Smart and JB each played 38. But if you think about that, man, like you you would expect Derek White to be at least 20 minutes a night. And the fact that he was only at 14 is just really interesting. I thought it was an impactful 14. He had six rebounds. He had that great outlet pass to Tatum um for that for that layup where Tatum went crashing into the stanchion. But the fact that he's only playing 14 minutes and then you're getting these higher minute totals for Tatum, Smart and Brown, um, it's just it'll be interesting to see where those minutes are allocated amongst the big men. You know, like Horford, 28, Tice, 17, Rob, 16, Grant had 32. That's just a really interesting uh, minute allocation there.
2: Yeah. I mean, if you look for the series here, you know, it's, it's somewhat similar. You know, Al Horford's at 34, Grant's at 28 and a half. Tice is at 22.8. So, you know, for me, like, I think when you factor back Rob, so he got 15 last night, you know, he's probably closer up, taking up to like what, what Grant's playing. And then maybe you're, you're slotting Grant and Tice down a little bit. But, you know, I, I think with this nine man rotation and another fascinating part is that Peyton Pritchard's only averaging 12 minutes for, for the entire series, but he's getting almost eight points in those 12 minutes and he's shooting phenomenal numbers. So he's coming in and being, you know, he's maximizing his efficiency in those small bursts that he's getting. And so I think it will be interesting. And, and I know for right now, we're kind of assuming that we'll, that the Celtics are going to move on and they would play Milwaukee. Uh, although Chicago, even though they got their butts kicked in game three, looked really good in game two. So we'll see how that series ends up playing out, but I think it will kind of depend. Like, so if, if we're saying they play Milwaukee, I think it depends how they compensate for the loss of Middleton. Do they go bigger? Do they go a little bit smaller? Because Milwaukee can get, pretty big and when teams can get pretty big and they can hang with Peyton Pritchard that's always that's not always a great matchup for him just because of his size so he could be the one that gets a little bit less minutes but then again his shooting is very we've seen how important it is to you know getting that burst in the offense and getting a little bit more spacing at times (coughs) excuse excuse me so I think it could be interesting to see who ends up out of the rotation, or it just makes sense to kind of keep it with this nine-man that we saw last night. I think shifting the minute totals around game-to-game could work, but I don't see why this nine-man rotation that we saw last night couldn't be in effect for whoever the opponent is next round.
1: It's good fatigue management as well, right, because you have that extra body absorbing 10 to 15 minutes a night. You do have an ability to kind of be like, all right, Al was complaining of soreness yesterday, so we're going to give Al – a few less minutes today because we know we can rely on Tice to fill that role because he made, he filled in so admirably for Rob Williams during the first series against Brooklyn. Or, oh, Derek White, the matchup he's got's quite unfavorable. So we'll bring in, we'll give Pritchard a bit of a boost in his minutes. Like having the ability to go nine deep isn't a hindrance. I know that some people are like, oh, in the playoffs, you have to shorten your rotations. It's what's done. Well, we said this in a previous podcast. is kind of going against everything you go small we go big you play finesse we play brutal we play physical you run a six seven eight man rotation we're running nine men because we know that we're nine deep and nine genuine legitimate playoff contributors deep so why would you limit yourself just to kind of fit in with that trend there's no rule Mm -hmm. that says you have to go eight man or seven man it's not in a rule book anywhere and like I said, it's not like you're bringing on guys that aren't legitimate contributors. You've got nine guys on this rotation that can come in and give guys work at the playoff level. So you should, you need to embrace that because that's a luxury a lot of teams don't have.
2: For sure. And to that point, I was watching, um before we started watching the um, Celtics-Nets game last night, we were watching the end of the, what was it, the Mavs-Jazz game. And earlier in that game, it, it struck me to your point, Adam, uh, old friend, Watch Hernan Gomez was getting some run for the jazz. He was. You know what I mean? And so then it left me thinking like, man, he, he couldn't even touch the floor with us. And yet he's out there in the middle of a do or die playoff game for the Utah jazz. So we're not running out there with that. We're running out there with the nine guys that that we've been talking about. And that have been solidly in Ema's rotation for the last, whatever it was, you know, four to six weeks of the season, where if they were healthy, we knew who the nine guys were. Like you can talk about Aaron. You can talk about Sam Hauser. We knew who the nine guys were going in game in and game out. If they're healthy and this, and all of them, regardless of what lineup you put out there, they all have their value. They all know their spots. They all know where they're supposed to be and they're locked in right
0: Yeah. And then you got the Jays, your superstars playing at superstar levels, where Tatum plays 45 minutes in that game last night. And if Jason Tatum is playing 42 to 45 minutes a night, like good luck, other teams. He's averaging
2: 43 and a half for the series, by
0: the way. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like if he's playing that many minutes, there's not many time like many opportunities for teams to take advantage of the Boston Celtics because of JT's two-way ability. We haven't talked on this pod really about his defensive impact, but the numbers for this series for Tatum are just absolutely bananas. I mean, the eye test seeing Tatum go up against Durant and just play and help being in the passing lanes, he had six steals in game three last night. That's just insane. I didn't even realize that as we were watching it. And then I looked at the box score after and I was like, wow, like I tested and lie. He had six steals, and he's blocked KD. I thought that was a block again last night where they had that nice little back and forth um at the timeout where they called the foul on Tatum and he ended up challenging it and he got ball first and he was telling KD, I got it again. He was like, I got the ball. Then I got your palm. Will, you got something to add?
2: Yeah, I got something real quick here. And this is from, uh, Our guy Greeny over at Barstool, Dan Greenberg, he loves tweeting out the individual possessions in in the matchup. So just he, I saw this earlier from him with Jason Tatum versus Kevin Durant throughout the series. So game one, 38 possessions, four points. Game two, 44 possessions, four points. Game three, 37 possessions, two points. For the series, 110 total possessions, 10 total points, Tatum versus Durant.
0: That's insane. That's absolutely insane. And I think, you know, I... Earlier in the season, Adam, we had conversations about who the best perimeter defender on the Boston Celtics was when we were talking about Jay Rich and, like, where he kind of ranks in that when he was still on the squad. And Tatum's the guy, the name that I threw out there. I was like, Tatum might be the best perimeter defender on this team. We just, like, don't know it yet because we don't ask him to do it as frequently as we ask other guys to do it. Um, So I, I think... With um with Tatum, you know, going up against Durant in the series. We were talking with our guy Rail Million um, during the game last night in playback. And we call back to that series against or the game against Kawhi Leonard when he was on the Raptors, and Tatum really gave Kawhi fits. And that was before Tatum packed on the 15 to 20 pounds of muscle. Now you're seeing him, he's always been good in the passing lanes, but his individual defense this year. Um, just has taken to another level, and he accepts those challenges against the best players in the league. And the Tatum demon face—is that what we're gonna call it? I don't even know what we're gonna call. It. But when he's locked in and he's making that that one face, just like, oh, you better watch out when T- Jason Tatum is making that face. Good luck.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think he's definitely, arguably, I wouldn't say definitely, arguably, a top six wing defender in the league. I don't think there's many wing, wings that are a better. I mean,
2: he's in the, the conversation. It's, it's tough to make like a, a list on it's the like, spot like yeah. that, but like you know, he's 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 in there. And this is something that we talked about in the playback room last night was that you know when you look to some of these defensive awards and, and we've talked before, especially with the Marcus Smart conversation. The defensive metrics are not perfect; they sometimes skew one way or another. And I do think narrative around a player and who they are, and especially what they do in the postseason, plays a role in how they're discussed and talked about the next season and later on in their career. This is a a defensive defining series for Jason Tatum, and so I think next year when you hear people say what and, and you know his name was was on the you know the edges of conversation this year, but I think when you start to look ahead to next year and down the lo- down the road when they're talking about you know the Uh, you know, who's going to be all, all defense, maybe defensive player. I don't know that maybe that's, that's a little bit too far, but, but all defense anyways, they're going to say, how can we not put Jason Tatum? Do you remember what he did to KD? Remember what he did to KD in that series? That's going to become his linchpin. When people start talking about all defensive teams and him not getting previously mentioned, but him being mentioned going forward, that narrative is going to hang with him in a very good way. And going to, I think ultimately lead to him getting more credit defensively moving forward. I think one thing as well is, like, you've got to remember two, three years ago, we were praising his
1: off-ball defense. He was very much a... Tatum is a high-level off-ball defender. He's been solid in passing lanes for about two, three years at this point. Really good as a deterrent, active hands, uh, knows when to jump gaps to kill passing opportunities. This season, especially the last few weeks or few months... He's really kind of embraced that on role as well. And that makes him, now he's developed the, the willingness, the IQ, and he has the body to play as an on defender. He's got that complete defensive package as a perimeter defender. You can put work off ball. You can work in the passing lanes. Now you can stop guys on-ball. We're not asking you to be a rim protector. we got Rob Al for that. And I think you're right. I mean, look, I said top six wing defender in the league. That might be a little bit uh egregious to some people and i do have to admit you know i don't watch every player on every game so it's hard it's very hard to define sort of what a top five list is because there's so many games to watch yeah you know there's over a thousand games a season i'm going to be honest i'll probably catch two non-celtics games a week you know i mean because i'm watching i'm watching celtics and i'm re-watching the celtics then i'm going possession by possession so being able to say Oh, Tatum is player X in list X is really difficult because really? I don't see the other players on that list. But what I would say is if I'm coming into a series and I've got Jason Tatum as my prime, like with Marcus Smart as, and Jalen Brown as my three primary perimeter defenders, I'm not worried about who we're matching up with because I know that they're going to have to put in work to be successful against that trio. Yeah, yeah. 100%.
0: Yeah, and I think that we're, we're kind of like populating a list of guys who would be in that conversation right now. Mikael Bridges, Finney Smith, Tatum, Jimmy Butler, Ty Bull, a healthy Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, O.J. Ananobi, Herb Jones. Like th- those are probably off the top of our head, the best wing defenders that we can think of like on the spot right now. There might be a few that we're missing. But Tatum, you know, he's just as good as as any of those guys that we just mentioned. Some of those guys like have the reputation, right? Like the Tybles, the Herb Joneses, the Finney Smith, because that's where they make their money is make money on the defensive end. But to Will's point earlier, he's saying now everyone can look at this series and be like, you know what? Now we realize Jason Tatum is on that level. It just so happens he's also one of the best offensive players in the game. So now they're going to start talking about him as that two-way superstar. And I, I really think this is the, the series where he's recognizing his potential on both ends of the court. And it's like really, really exciting. And for other teams, it's got to be really terrifying. Uh, one one more thing I, I did want to uh, touch on real quick, though. This is, this is just kind of like nerding out, Adam, and I, I would love to hear your, your thoughts on this. So when I rewatched this morning, there were some great um, slobs, so side sideline out of bounds, where the Celtics ran actions for the Jays. So there's three straight possessions in the second quarter where we had pin downs, JB for JT, so opposite side. So balls on the right side of the court, JB, JT are in the left corner. Um, JB sets a pin down for JT. Two go to JT, JB gets a wide open layup. The second time down, they flip it. So JT sets the screen for JB. JB um, gets, so they they switch that. JB gets a one-on-one in the lane. He misses it. The third time, JT inbounds to JB. Like right, right at, it's the old um, Spurs player they used to run for Ginobili. But JT inbounds to JT and they go the dribble handoff option for JB and JB keeps it, so two go to JT, and then JB keeps it going to the baseline, and Claxton ended up coming over and contesting the shot and making him miss it, but three straight plays, they ran action with the Jays involved in it, and it's something that they've been doing a little bit more throughout this um, throughout this series, and I'm just really excited about it, and I'm just, just wondering your opinion on some more Jays actions.
1: Yeah, no matter what you're going to do, you're going to force mismatches you have to switch that action. Now, you know, you're you running two elite-level scorers or like close-to-elite-level scorers in a body-to-body action. You have to switch at which point there's going to be a mismatch. If Claxton's guarding Tatum, which he has done for a lot of the series, and then you run a pin down with JB or a handoff with JB and JT, Claxton has to switch onto the ball handler. And I just think that uh, Brand's so athletic and so explosive that that's just a complete mismatch on Claxton. I also think that when you're running those type of actions, especially on a sideline out of bounds plays, defenses are so focused on taking away cutters and and limiting anybody that's kind of trying to break free and roll to the hoop, that those early actions on the side, like those side actions with two high-level wings, usually catch teams off guard. Because they're so focused on, hey, is Rub is Rub trying to break free? Is there a back screen coming? Is there a rip screen coming? What's happening on the weak side to who's trying to get free to be able to be a secondary receiver of the ball and finish around the room? So I'm all for these JT and JB actions. I do. I would like to have a free man action put in there. You know, like a even if you just throw in like a sideline out of bounds zoom action, fine, I'm down with it. Just because having that third person in there is really going to stretch that defense out and force them into some tough decisions probably get ujb matched up with, with Dragic or with Irving like so yeah I'm Dan but again I would like to add a third buddy in there just to kind of mix things up
2: yeah and I feel like just just to add on just real quick because I know we're we're running a little bit longer here but You know, with the JB and JT actions, I feel like we've been asking for for some version of this for a while, whether it's on ball, off ball, whatever form that it takes. I feel like it's something that, you know, we we just haven't really seen them do, whether that's because in years past, you know, whether it was Kemba, Kyrie, you know, whoever, Gordon Hayward, like it wasn't being run as them two being the, the main pillars of the play or the main pillars of the team. And now over the last year or two with them being really ascending to these leadership roles. This has been something that I think all of us have been asking to see, whether it's late game or whatever time of the game, just more actions involving the two of them because of how much attention they draw and how much pressure it puts on the defense. So I, I think it's something that's it's taken time, but it's good to see the the results that we're getting here in this first round.
1: I'm Dan. I, I agree. I think we've you know we've been saying JT and JB need to learn to play off of each other more, and one great way to force that development is to put them in actions where they have to play off of each yeah. other. So I I'm, I agree. I think that you, you're building continuity between the two of them as kind of go-to options within each other, if that makes sense at all.
0: Yeah, for sure. And yeah. I'm, I'm just super excited to see what they end up doing in game four and for the rest of these playoffs. Um, quick predictions for game four, guys? Close it up. Celtics win. I agree. I agree. Yeah, I think –
2: I think this team's taken on Ime's mindset and that's just as as the way it was of like, we're playing for that two seed. He's going to instill in them, I think, close it out here. Let's take care of business. This is a business trip. Let's close it out. Did
1: you pick mine up because my internet cut out then? Did you pick my prediction up?
0: Yeah, you said Celtics close it out tomorrow night.
1: Yeah, okay, cool. My internet cut out, so I was like, oh, did they hear
0: me? Are they still talking?
1: Are they still here? So I do apologize for the listening experience. Uh, We'll wrap it up and then you know, I do apologize. I feel like my uh, my hot chocolate at the beginning of the episode
0: really threw off the uh. No, 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 no. It, it it added to it, especially for people watching on YouTube.
2: Yeah, go go check Adam's Twitter. He put a nice little picture of it uh, it up there. So maybe it'll be on Instagram as well. But definitely check out his Twitter. It's it's a lovely looking hot chocolate.
0: <laughs> yeah, and um, with that, I think we're gonna wrap it up here. I, th- I think Adam's having a few internet issues, um, but. That's the three-man weave. Boston Celtics win. We're up 3-0. Will, you got anything else to add before we close it out here? Um, Come join us. Uh, Adam joined us uh, last night on playback for
2: game three. We're going to run it back for game four. So come join. I don't know if Adam's going to be able to stay up late twice in a row for it, but if not, that's okay. Come join me and Greg. We'll hang out with you. It's a fun virtual watch party we'll uh we'll do some posting about it here today and tomorrow when y'all are listening to this um appreciate y'all for stopping by here remember to rate subscribe all that good good go celtics get the brooms let's go
0: peace everybody ain't disrespecting you hate is i ain't sweating your opinion y'all testing my patience never did it for a check i've been impressed with the